Welcome to the fourth season of Better News, a series of special podcasts It's All Journalism is producing in partnership with the American Press Institute. I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Better News offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. The effort is fueled by the American Press Institute and the Knight Lenfest Local News Transformation Fund. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight some of the useful research the American Press Institute has published as part of its Better News initiative. Most of the audience and therefore revenue streams at large daily newspapers come from the coverage of local news. But what if that newsroom was producing content with a national appeal? Could you turn that into a new source of revenue? Better News recently published a study written by Danielle White and Eve Rickles-Young on how the Salt Lake Tribune's Mormonland beat was able to reach a national audience that is financially supporting their work through Patreon. Danielle and Eve, welcome to the Better News Podcast. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having us. Okay. So just so everybody can associate your voice with your name, uh, let's start with you, Danielle. Tell me a little bit about yourself. What got you interested in, in journalism? How'd you end up at the Salt Lake Tribune? I'm Danielle White. I'm the VP of Strategic Initiatives and Community Engagement at the Salt Lake Tribune. I've been back with the Tribune for about a year and a half, coming up on two years. I started my career at the Tribune as a reporter and editor a long time ago. And during the Alden years when the Tribune was owned by the hedge fund, I left voluntarily to try to make a career in basically content marketing, which I did for about a decade in mostly the tech industry. And then once the Tribune became a nonprofit, we had a leadership change and I had the opportunity to work with Lauren Gustis who was our executive editor, also her second time around at the Tribune, I felt really compelled to come back and try to figure out this blueprint of business model, you know, for legacy papers moving to a nonprofit. We also notably moved from print seven days a week to one at the exit of a JOA. So digital marketing in particular, but digital audience has been something that I've been working in since I left the Tribune. So all of those things kind of come together and, and made it a really appealing opportunity for me to come back to. Okay, Eve, it's your turn. You know, what's your title? And tell me how you ended up at the Tribune. Sure. So I'm Eve Rickles-Young. I am the digital media manager for the Salt Lake Tribune. I actually got the job because Danielle found me on LinkedIn. My career has been in marketing, mostly at nonprofits. So I actually don't have other experience in news, but I have a lot of experience with that sort of like marketing for looking for donors and things like that at other nonprofits. I moved to Utah about four years ago and I've been at the Tribune for about a year. So I did some work in the small business community with a nonprofit before moving to the Tribune. So when did the Tribune become a nonprofit? I believe it was the end of 2019, officially, in that the paperwork was accepted. And what I think a lot of people don't realize is like, you don't just snap your fingers and your entire business model and day-to-day operations change when you become a nonprofit. So there was a lot of infrastructure that had to be built internally and continues to be built, if I'm honest. And part of that is a culture of experimentation 
of, you know, when is it appropriate to ask people for a subscription versus when is it appropriate to ask people for donations, who is more likely to do what, and we're still developing that level of sophistication. Okay, so the Tribune has been around for a while. What, what kind of role has it played in the community? Yeah, so the Tribune is 101, 151 years old, and it started as a mining gazette that basically reflected, you know, the daily lives of, of those laborers. And then for a long time, it was sort of defined by what it wasn't, which was the newspaper owned by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is our, I guess, in-town rival, the Deseret News, and some of their affiliate TV and, and radio station programs as well. So we're often labeled the liberal paper or the non-Mormon paper. Some of that reputation during different periods of history were more deserved than others. But I think, you know, where we are now is a, you know, we seek to serve, especially as a nonprofit now, all Utahns, regardless if they're conservative or liberal, LDS, another religion, atheist, you know, regardless of their ethnicity or background. So I think we've kind of come full circle on that front. So tell me about the paper's sort of initial table stakes involvement, you know, experiments. How did you sort of incorporate that and, and sort of use that to guide your strategy? Yeah, so I personally jumped in a little bit late to our table stakes effort. I got hired in April and, and obviously table stakes gets kicked off in January. So we had, a, you know, two teams. One team was really focused on the editorial side, meaning how can we reach more people with our content, a little bit more top of funnel, if you will. And then we have this other team that was interested in experimenting with monetization. So a little bit more bottom of funnel, how do we get people to support us, pay us for our work? And it was that second team, the experiments on that second team that led to the Mormon land experiment. Okay. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. Eve, are you involved in that? Did you want to sort of explain what that is? Sure. So Mormon Land is a newsletter and a podcast. And I think through Tablescapes, this was started before my time, but we started a Patreon to try and see if we could monetize that project and get people to, well, we sort of wanted to pay gate some of the content to see if people would pay for it. Also just to pay and support the work that we were doing because we dive really deep. We have a very long newsletter every week. There's more news about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we're writing it from, as Danielle said, a different perspective than the other dominant paper in this town. So we thought it was a really interesting way to reach a different audience than the Salt Lake Tribune normally was reaching. And also this content, because it's so valuable, we thought we could try and monetize it. So that's why we started the Patreon. If I can add just something that I think is important context for the table stakes piece of it. So before we launched the Mormon land experiment, we launched a super small dollar, a micro donation experiment where we embedded a widget on certain stories every day, two or three stories every day that we hand selected to think, hey, maybe this story would do well to, to receive donations. And that experiment failed miserably. But the tiny little successes that we were getting were on our LDS coverage. So 
basically we were just like, well, if there's anything to be had here with a micro donation experiment, it will be on this coverage. And that is where the, the Mormon land experiment began. I would also need to add that I don't know that we would have gone as full bore on the Mormon land experiment if we hadn't received some funding. We won a grant to explore this experiment further from Facebook Accelerator, which is now Meta, which just pulled a lot of its funding in recent weeks and months. And so I, I do have to acknowledge that, you know, that support, I think it was like a $20,000 grant allowed us to have some runway and devote some resources that otherwise we wouldn't have been able to launch this experiment. So Eve, did you, you know, being involved in nonprofits, had you had much experience with Patreon before? No, I had never used Patreon before. I'd used other fundraising platforms, but this was sort of a different model where there are tiers of memberships starting at $3 and going up to, I believe, $9. We have three tiers and we sort of tier the experience based on how much you are paying. That's never a model that I had had at other nonprofits that were more just donations to support the center or the organization. This is a lot more about, I want to support this content and I want to get bonus or extra content that I wouldn't otherwise get. That's sort of what people are experiencing on Patreon. It doesn't even, it's, yeah, it's a lot different than some other nonprofit models that I've worked with. So when did you sort of implement the Patreon model here for Mormon land? Danielle, do you know around when? Yeah, the Patreon was launched in September of 2021. What was working and what didn't work when you sort of launched this? I can't imagine it was like instantly, you know, successful. I, I'm sure that there there probably had a lot of being a lot of tinkering to get it to something that would would function the way you would hope it would. Yeah, a couple things that worked. Surprisingly, the transcript to the weekly podcast was a huge driver of folks signing up for the Patreon initially because I guess there had been you know, people who had asked and requested that previously. I think we had a pretty cool piece of swag that we offered all all members. It is a mug that's with the Mormon land logo, but then it also says hot chocolate because members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints famously don't drink coffee or tea. You know, coffee mug is really a hot chocolate mug, a little tongue in cheek, a little fun there. Um, that was a big driver. We also, for our highest tier, had a book that we had created with 150 years worth of our photography. So some of that historic imagery was a big driver. So we had some, you know, pretty enticing incentives initially. There were also, and this is sort of the crux of why the experiment, I would say, is a success. We saw an influx of folks from out of state signing up for, you know, the $3 level for the most part, because they wanted to be able to access our premium coverage that was typically behind a paywall without subscribing to the Tribune, which is not their local paper. They had had no other really good reason to subscribe. Something that didn't work was texting. As part of the experiment, we decided to launch, you know, a little community via text message. The platform we were using is Subtext, and it just did not catch on. It was very difficult to convince people to offer their phone numbers, so we had a really hard time growing the list. 
And then of the folks who were on the list as we were texting, we had some decent engagement at the beginning of the experiment where, you know, people were asking questions of upcoming podcast guests or responding to a newsletter or a story. But after a little bit of time, how do I put this delicately? We started getting abusive messages and those were going directly to Dave Noyce, our managing editor over religion coverage, and Peggy Fletcher Stack, who was our, you know, 40-year veteran on the beat. And so at that point, it wasn't worth it to us for them to be receiving this sort of abuse for the minimal gain that we were getting from engagement with readers. How successful has it been, you know, since you you implemented it? Have you seen a sort of steady growth? Are you seeing churn on your subscription list? Uh, you know, people signing up for one thing, but then sort of, you know, maybe later on, you know, dropping the Patreon? Yeah, we're definitely seeing some churn and heavy growth when we put the marketing time and money into it. So obviously, as a large newspaper, a, you know, a newspaper with a lot going on, we have times when we're pushing more effort and more dollars into marketing the Mormon land Patreon and project in general, when we put that time and money into it, we definitely see results. When we are a little more hands off, it's a lot slower in terms of growth. So I'll go through times where I'm really pushing the Patreon heavily on Twitter, or I've tried Spotify ads, Facebook and Instagram, all of that, that really does work out for us. And then also, I guess this is normal for Patreon, but you have a churn at the end of each month. So when, you know, the billing cycle comes up, it's pretty normal to lose a few people every month. So we do see that. That said, though, this three-year CLV on Patreon is incredibly high. That was one of the things that was immediately apparent to us that, yes, we did have a little bit of churn, but the retention rate was really high and, you know, they were paying a steady amount. So it was worth it to us to keep pushing as it were. And as you mentioned, you know, we've identified some times, I think we specifically have focused around the semi-annual LDS conference, which is at the first weekend in April and the first weekend in October as an opportunity to say, you know, we put a lot of that coverage behind our paywall on sltrib.com. And this was an opportunity to say, hey, you can still get this coverage, join this community here. Just so I understand, with the Mormon Land beat, there's a podcast, and I assume that the reporters also, you know, provide text in some way. Is all of that behind a paywall, pretty much? The text is behind the paywall, meaning like the transcript of the podcast. But the podcast is not behind the paywall. Neither is the newsletter. We were running a longer version of the newsletter on the Patreon, but we have since just made it one newsletter, not behind the paywall. But a lot of content is behind the paywall on Salt Lake Tribune on sltrib.com. And that coverage is available to our Patreon subscribers for less than a subscription to the Salt Lake Tribune. And what Danielle was saying, we really leaned into after realizing we were reaching that national and different audience. We tried to do some of our marketing efforts towards high LDS areas outside of Utah, targeting those zip codes and 
trying to push that message without undercutting the Salt Lake Tribune, but realizing that these people were not after local Utah news. They were after, you know, religious content that only we could provide. So leaning into it is less than a Tribune subscription and a Tribune subscription might not really be relevant for you, but a Patreon subscription would be. So does that undercut your local audience, you know, your subscribers is, you know, if I live in, you know, Salt Lake City, you know, do I have the opportunity to purchase a subscription to the podcast and then thereby that's my subscription to the paper? Well, you would be able to read the paywalled religion content, but nothing else. So it depends on really what you're looking for. You're you're paying money and getting something that Tribune subscribers could get, but you're not getting everything that Tribune subscribers could get. And so it really depends on what's relevant for you. Like within table stakes, right? It, like, I think it's the seventh table stake. You may want to back check me on that. I, uh, not, yeah, I've, I've not committed <laughs> those to memory. I'm sorry, but maybe I shouldn't say that, but if it, go on. I think it was table stake number seven, where you are trying to become a mini publisher. And I feel like Mormonland was such a good choice for us because of the question you just asked about cannibalization. When you're trying to pick a vertical, you have to pick something that isn't so key to your core that you would have that cannibalization, you would lose or, you know, be robbing Peter to pay Paul. And so with Mormonland, it was an established brand. It had been a podcast and a newsletter for several years. I want to say about four years prior to this Patreon experiment. So it had, you know, devoted readers and listeners already who were used to being off sltrib.com to consume that content, whether they were on the podcast or email, right? And so for us, it made sense to pursue this as a mini vertical for that reason. And then as we started seeing like, who are the people that were signing up for the Patreon? And so many of them were out of state. Some of them were in state. And so we, we investigated to say, hey, are we starting to cannibalize? No, they didn't ditch their subscription to the Tribune, they were purchasing the Patreon access as an add-on so that they could get the swag, the transcript, the other things that the Patreon provides, or just to support the work directly. Because there are those folks who are local who do not necessarily agree with the Tribune in other ways, whether that's political or, our, you know, other coverage, but do really appreciate our coverage of the LDS church. And so they felt better about directly supporting that coverage than say the Tribune as a whole with a subscription or a straight donation. For obvious reasons, I'm really kind of interested in you identifying a, a podcast and a newsletter as something that you could market separately, but that was also kind of out of your expertise. I know that newsletters and podcasts, sometimes people view those sort of as a nice to have, but they don't necessarily think of how, how they can make that pay for itself or contribute to the larger mission and bring in different types of subscribers. What you kind of described, you know, it reminds me of a Vikings podcast that I know about that has a huge audience outside of, you know, Minnesota because there are people all over the, the country who are fans of that team. And so, you know, that's, one of the things they do to they market locally, but they also market to the people who, you know, who've moved away and are fans. And the fact that you guys have create a unique content that is desirable by people outside of, of Utah just seems like a natural thing to do. 
So, you know, what was the hardest thing to do in sort of, you know, promoting this, this vertical and doing this experiment? I think it's kind of evolved over the course of the experiment. I think initially the hardest part was changing workflows and dynamics. You know, Peggy and Dave are a very well-oiled machine who, with Chris Samuels, who is producing the podcast, have their own cadence and workflow that then we marketing folks swept in and sort of disrupted. But what we really tried to do was look for ways to be efficient, look for ways to use what they were already doing in a better way. So like Eve described, you know, the newsletter was very, very long and we decided, hey, we're just going to give the shorter version for free and then we'll give the full version on the website. That ended up, you know, we've evolved away from that and there's just one version for simplicity's sake now. But things like that, where we were trying to experiment. And I think that was a little bit rough going initially because they were so used to operating the way that they had always operated. And we were kind of coming in trying to figure out, you know, ways to improve upon that or optimize efficiencies there. Now I feel like it's a little bit more of that sustained effort that Eve was mentioning around when we put our foot on the gas, we're able to grow. If we take our foot off the gas at all, growth is pretty flat or minimal, right? And so how do we maintain the effort and enthusiasm to keep growing this platform? Somewhere in between the beginning and and now, I would say we had to figure out new ways of marketing, right? We're a local newspaper. We had again, well-oiled machine, ways of marketing to our local audiences. And when we started realizing we could really grow this nationally, that made us have to bust out of our our wheelhouse of our tried and true methods. And that's where, you know, Spotify came in, some geo-targeting methods came in where we were much more proficient at now, but at the time we had no idea if it was going to work or not. And so I think over the year and two months that this has been an experiment, the challenges have evolved with the experiment. That's really fascinating. When I got involved in podcasting, there were a lot of people had sort of the attitude of if you build it, they will come. Sadly, that's not the case for most podcasts, because if you have no marketing, then nobody's going to know who you are, or what makes you different than the you know million other podcasts that are out there. Figuring out who your audience is, figuring out how to get your podcast in front of their ears, as it were, and then, you know, provide them with content that they want to hear. So what advice would you give for some newsroom who might have a, you know, something that they're producing that could be marketed in this way? I mean, this is definitely a marketing answer, but you have to really know your audience or kind of establish, you know, who is your audience. And that's the only way you're going to be able to reach them. You have to understand them in order to know how to target. So we've done a lot of work to sort of figure out who is this audience and who is the potential audience. We did some work with some BYU students helping us sort of like run through who could be a potential audience, could, you know, college students, just sort of figuring out, first of all, who is our current audience, but definitely where are the potential audiences hiding? What do they like? Where do they live? All these things that you end up being able to target once you kind of establish who you're going for, who you think could appreciate the vertical. How about you, Danielle? 
one of the keys to success outside of obviously being willing to experiment, right? I think you have to be willing to experiment and be willing to fail and learn from those failures. Like I said, Mormon land was born out of a failed experiment. So that would be my sort of obvious number one piece of advice. But two, I think it really, really helped. And this is where the grant did help force this for us, set very concrete, smart goals. We had goals for each tier, acquisition of each tier. We had goals for the SMS piece. We had goals for increasing the readership, the organic readership outside of the Patreon, just for the newsletter that we smashed early on and had to set a new new goal for. We had goals for the podcast listenership. So we had very concrete, specific goals that we checked in on as a group weekly in order to fulfill a grant, right? But I think, I don't know if we didn't have the grant, if we would have done that, but I think that was a real key, especially early on as we were trying to get established to our success. It kept us pushing. It kept us focused. It kept us knowing what was working, you know, yay, newsletter, what wasn't working? Oh no, texting and allowed us the room to work on each of those things and adjust as needed. Audience marketing, measuring, and experimenting all good pieces of advice i've been talking to danielle white and eve rickles young about how the salt lake tribune's mormonland beat was able to reach a national audience that is financially supporting their work through patreon eve and danielle thanks for coming on better news thank you thanks for having us it's been fun thanks for listening to better news a co-production of the american press institute and it's all journalism API's Better News Initiative offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. You can find out more about the Better News Initiative and this podcast at betternews.org.